Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Today, uh, today I, want to, uh, I want to speak to you. Uh, the title of my message is Four Letter Word. Yeah, I want to talk to you about a four-letter word today. I know you guys, you guys all look holy and everything else, but I know that you know some of those. As a kid, I, I used to tell them my brothers and say, oh, you know, I'd tell my parents that they said a four-letter word, meaning a bad word, and usually the question that would come next is, which word, right? Is it one of the, like, the kind of not good words or the really bad ones? There's a few really bad ones, and so, the, you know, somehow they're all classified. I don't, I don't get how that works. Uh, but I want to talk to you about a, a four-letter word today. I'm going to give you some clues, see if you can figure out what it is. Uh, first clue I'll give you is this. Um, this four-letter word that I want to talk to you about, you will spend one-third of your waking hours doing this four-letter word. Some of us hate this four-letter word, while others are addicted to it. Intrigued yet? Many people attach their identity to this four-letter word. And lastly, this, hopefully this, everyone will get it here. We do this four-letter word for, for maybe 40 years in hopes that at the end of our life, we won't have to do this four-letter word. How many know what it is? Work. Very good. Yeah, work. And work is a four-letter word sometimes, isn't it? You get up in the morning like, I don't feel like going to work, right? Oh, I'd love to hang out with my friends, but I got to work. I'm so tired of work. It's, it's typically thought of in a negative light. Would you not agree? Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, in our Western North American culture, uh, our work is often pretty good by comparison with what people have to do the rest of the world. Would you agree with that? And, uh, and so it's interesting because as bad as our work can be sometimes, as hard as it can be, there's always someone who has it worse. I found this little comic that I just thought was cute and I'd share it with you about work. Can you throw that up on the screen? The toothbrush says, sometimes I feel like I have the worst job in the world. <laughs> so... There's always another perspective in there. But honestly, think about this. If work is something that we will spend one-third of our waking hours doing, don't you think we ought to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and how that interacts with what we do with our lives? Do you not think that work is a really important subject? And so today I want to talk about this word work, which again can be very negative for many people, and I want you to see how work collides with our faith. And, uh, and so if you weren't here last Sunday, we began a series called The Power of Partnership, and I have this image behind me of a yoke. And, and the reason why I have that here is because we're looking at a passage where Jesus says something powerful. He gives us an image to look at that is going to help us, uh, whether you're here in this place and you're like, I'm a committed follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here trying to figure out what this God and Jesus stuff's all about, you haven't decided for yourself yet whether you want to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so Jesus gives us these words. I want us to, to look at them for just a minute as we recap from last week. Matthew 11, verse 38, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor, all who work, and are heavy laden. Do you ever feel uh, like you are just under a load, emotionally, physically exhausted, um, just under the weight of life and work? And here's the promise. He says, I will give you rest. 
Now, if we just took that passage and we didn't continue to read on, it almost sounds as if Jesus is saying, if you come and follow me, you won't have to work anymore. You will just, you will just be able to just soar through life. You'll never get sick. You'll never have a bad day. People will never hurt you. It is just clear sailing from here with Jesus. It almost sounds like he's saying that. And of course, you probably know that's not the rest of the story. We're going to continue to read. In fact, last week, the title of my message was Buyer's Remorse. And, and I talked about how so many times we try to sell people Jesus. And, and what does a salesperson do? A salesperson is skilled in the art of highlighting features and benefits. Here's all the reasons why you need my product. You can't live without it. And then when it comes to the cost, it's like, oh, don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. Oh, we get easy payments, right? So highlight the benefits, downplay the cost to sell you something, and you end up with buyer's remorse. Well, sometimes we do that with Jesus. We're like, if you just have Jesus, your life will be perfect. But we don't read the rest of the verses. We don't read about what it means to follow Jesus and the cost of following Jesus. And we learned last week that the cost is everything. That you love Jesus, follow him with all you have. And so he continues. He says, I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, we don't talk about yokes very often anymore. This is a yoke behind me. This is this, this wooden uh, bar with the metal clasps, it is a, a yoke. And this is the image that Jesus is going to use when it comes to following Jesus. Quick definition. A yoke is a wood bar which binds two animals together as one for the purpose of work. You get two animals inside this thing. I've got these little straps, but you'd have leather harnesses. And two horses, two mules, two ox will push into this wooden bar together and pull a plow, a wagon, do some work with the strength of the animals this is the image that Jesus uses to describe to his disciples what it means to follow him. He invites them into his work. He says, take my yoke upon you. See, in fact, he's not saying that you won't do work. He's saying, come and work with me. You see the difference? He continues, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't saying Come to me and you will never work again. In fact, what he says is come to me and join me in my work. Come and enter into my yoke and pull alongside with me. And when we're partnered with him in his yoke, doing his work, guess what? Here's the best news. We're not pulling alone anymore. The work that he calls us to do is done with him and in his strength. That's the best part of this yoke analogy. And, and so this leads me to my first point about this four-letter word called work. You ready for this? I only got a few, and I need you to be responsive. I'm going to ask you to talk to the person beside you. If there's nobody beside you, just talk to yourself. It's really fun, I promise. All right? Here's the first point. Work is not your enemy. Everybody say it together. Work is not your enemy. Tell the person beside you, work is not the enemy. It is not. I know sometimes, I know sometimes that work can feel like the enemy, but work is not the enemy. In fact, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 2, the creation account. God's created the heavens and the earth. He's created the first man, Adam. He's planted this beautiful garden called Eden. He puts Adam in the garden. And let's look at what the text says. Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to rest. To sit in a lazy boy and enjoy leisure. No, in fact, it says he put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. 
One time I was preaching a sermon on this text and I said, did you notice that God gave the man a job before he gave him a woman? That'll preach, right? Because when Eve comes along, she's coming along to stand beside him and do this thing together and to help and support and they're going to do this thing together. But he gives them a purpose first. And, uh, and, and so God gives him work. This is before the fall. This is before anything else takes place. Adam has stuff to do. And sometimes we think the work that we have to do each day, and honestly, life is mostly work, isn't it? You might spend 40 hours at work and then you come home and guess what you have waiting for you at home? More work, right? There's dishes, there's yard work, there's laundry, there's all these things that have to be done, bills to pay, work, 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 work. And so God creates the man and gives him a job, he gives him some work. So if that's true, if that creation account is true, then guess what? Work is not just something we have to do, but work is something we were created to do. That's different, right? You go, oh, wait a minute. God actually created and designed me to accomplish something, to do some work. That's good news. Now, granted, our work and this world are cursed. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, and God proclaims a curse. Do you know what the curse was? He says to the woman, he says, because of what you did, you're going to have painful childbirth. Did that happen? I don't know, it's a few, few women maybe, and like, oh yeah, it happened. Um, and the other thing he says is that your husband, the one who you're supposed to be standing side by side partnering with, is going to rule over you. Historically, that's been true, hasn't it? And then he turns to the man and he says, because of what you did, he's like, you are going to toil and sweat. There's going to be thorns and you're going to work all day long out in the sun just so you can eat bread, just to survive. Your work is going to become an obstacle to you. That's true for most people in the world. Here in North America, we are super, super blessed, aren't we? Uh, but that's not always the case for us. And the women get epidurals, so we're kind of, we're <laughs> averting some of the curse. Let's just be honest, right? Like, so we're, we're getting away from some of this, but... I'm tired. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Um, what in the world do you think we're going to be doing in heaven for eternity? <laughs> I have a few of you are catching on. We're going to be doing some work. The, the, the beautiful thing is it won't be broken work. It will be beautiful, purposeful work that God has created us and wired us to do. Like, can you imagine just sitting around in heaven forever doing nothing? It's like, so what are we doing today? Nothing. That's great, we're healthy, there's no sickness, no more tears, I'm bored. And I think we're going to be engaged in doing the very things that God created us to do. Uh, yesterday at the men's event, Hilton, um, who's, who's back on the soundboard, Hilton uh, smoked some brisket for the men. He had like 15 pounds or something of, of pulled pork that he had smoked for like 15 hours with cedar and fruit or whatever he put in there. I don't know, it was amazing. And guys, I don't know theologically whether there'll be meat in heaven or not. I think there should be because it was so good. Um, But if Hilton could do that, using his gifts and skills to create this beautiful meal for the men, I can't imagine the kind of stuff he'll be whipping up after a thousand years of practice. (laughs) You know? I'm looking forward to heaven. And some of you are great artists and you're honing your craft. Imagine a couple thousand years from now the art that will be produced, the music that will be produced. Some of you are great at building things. Imagine what you could build with the time to, to invest in your kids. Do you see what I'm saying? Heaven gets really exciting when you start to think about what are the things I'm wired to do, and I'm going to do those for eternity. That's getting pretty awesome to me. Because honestly, rest is amazing, but we weren't created to rest. 
Rest is what happens after we, after we work. It says, in six days the Lord created everything that exists, and on the seventh day, after he worked, what did he do? Yeah, he rested. And what do you think he did on the eighth day? Back to work, right? And so God, he's at work in the world. He's at work in our country. It may not look like it sometimes, but he is. He's at work. And, and there's this cycle of work and rest that is beautiful and is helpful to us. You know, sitting on a beach is amazing. I've had the opportunity to do it a few times, going down in the Caribbean in the middle of January. Everyone up here is freezing their butts off. And I'm sitting down on the beach, toes in the sand, with a cold drink in my hand, and I'm thinking, this is the life. And it is for a week or two. But after two years of sitting on the beach with the same cold drink, it's like getting a little thick around the middle, uh, got no purpose, kind of wondering what I'm doing tomorrow, sit on the beach. Like, it's not that appealing anymore. Although I haven't tested my theory. I would like to test it if someone would like to fly me down there. Um, we're created to work. We're created to do something. Work is not the enemy. This is really important for you to understand. Work is not the enemy. Um, here, here's another thing, though. Here's another point I want to share with you. Work is also not your savior. I know most of you don't think about your job as a savior, um, but if we're not careful, especially in our affluent Western world, we can, we can begin to view our work as our savior and our God. Uh, the Jewish people... They were enslaved in Egypt, and they, were, they had to work every day. They were driven by whips, by taskmasters, and they built many things, I'm sure, none of which was for themselves. So they were doing all this work, but they never received the, the benefit of the work. Aren't you glad that we live in a country that allows us to reap the rewards of our work, minus 30 or 40 percent? It's still amazing. We, get to, we work hard. We get, to, we get to accumulate wealth. We get to invest. We get to eat great food and all of that stuff. There are places in the world where people work way harder than us and have nothing to show for it. Isn't that true? So we're blessed. We're blessed. And this is exactly what happened for the Israelites. They were in Egypt working their tails off, and they got nothing. And now, as they're about to enter into the promised land, as they're about to inherit vineyards and fields and farms, and they're about to realize that what they do produces a great reward and benefit for them, God gives them a warning in Deuteronomy. Can I share it with you? He says this to the people of Israel, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. In other words, the very thing that used to be looked upon as the enemy can now be looked upon as your savior and God because I know if I work hard I can put away enough investments I can buy insurance I can get great health care I can solve all my problems with my work and work becomes our God do you, do you know what I'm saying this is absolutely possible especially for us in the world that we live in so work is not the enemy work is not the savior here's the third thing I want you to understand all work whatever work you do is sacred when partnered with Jesus. Now, I'm going to have to take a minute to, to, to unpack this because that may not make sense to some of you. See, I think we tend to divide our lives into sacred and secular. We think to ourselves, I'm going to church to do God's spiritual things like singing and listening to a sermon and praying. So I'm going to do those spiritual things and then I'm going to get on with the rest of my week. Like, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to work with God, and then I'm going to go do my work. I'm going to bring some money that's God's money, and I'm going to give it in the offering, and then I'm going to go spend my money on whatever I want. See, we separate. We do a line, and we go, God, me. 
his stuff, my stuff. We divide our lives in these ways. It shouldn't surprise me because when I grew up in church as a little kid, and some of you did as well, when I was a little kid, I remember going to church and everyone dressed up. Remember that? Suits, women had like beautiful dresses on. It was kind of good, you know. Sometimes people go, oh, remember the good old days when everybody actually looked nice when they went to church? Not like this group, you know. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You guys look wonderful. Um, But I remember as a little kid going to church and I'd see people in suits, hair done, and it's like, hey, how are you? Everything's perfect. I'm blessed. What a wonderful life. And, and, and they would say amen and hallelujah and glory. And they would have all of these terms you'd never hear anywhere else. And then I remember even as a little kid seeing people from church on Wednesday. And the guy's wearing ripped jeans. And instead of using four-letter words like amen, he's using different kinds of four-letter words, you know. And, and I'm, I'm watching this. I'm going, it's almost like there's two people. There's like the Sunday person, and then there's the rest of the week person. There's the Sunday guy, and then the Friday night guy. It's like, who, who is the guy? Like, what, what's going on here? There's this separation between what is sacred and what is secular. And I think that's extremely, extremely dangerous. Because last week when I said, hey, Jesus invites you and I into God's work, some of you might have actually thought, I would love to work with God, but unfortunately, I'm not a pastor. As if you have to be a pastor to be involved in God's work. Like, I would love to be involved in God's work, but I can't play the guitar and lead worship. Because we think in our minds, like, church is where God works. This is the sacred place. And this is sacred, this is amazing, and God works here. But this is actually not where the kingdom work gets done. Gets done out there. This is like an all-staff meeting. Yeah, this is where we bring in everybody from all the different fields and different places in the organization. We say, here's what we're doing. Here's why. This is the mission go. And we go out into our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we do kingdom work. And we do it there. It, it's not just something that happens here. You say, well, I work on a production line. Yep. God's working there. Hey, I'm a stay-at-home mom or dad. Yeah. God's, <laughs> you need God there, let me tell you. Okay? Uh, maybe you say, I'm a teacher. I work in, in the medical profession. Yet God is at work in all those places. And kingdom work happens in those places. This week I was, um, oh, let me say this. Don't think that church work equals kingdom work. He has that up on the slide. This week I was, uh, I stopped at the mechanic shop and uh, a mechanic asked me, he's like, hey, how was your week? I said, oh, it was good. It was busy. He's like, oh yeah, must be tough working one hour a week. <laughs> and uh, now that wasn't new to me. I've heard that a hundred times. That's like so old. It's like, oh, I've heard that. Huh? I used to try to explain to people all the things I do. It's like, oh, you think I work one hour a week? Let me show you my, let me show you my day timer. Look at this. My wife tells me I work too much. I got this and, this, and I, you know, and they're like, I don't care. I was just kidding. Um, <laughs> I've changed my tactic entirely. Now when someone says to me, hey, you work one hour a week, I just smile and I say, now we have two services. It's two hours. So <laughs> I, I just roll with it. Forget it. It's not even worth trying to prove it. Um, the difficulty is, though, if you think that church is kingdom work and everything else is not, you, you, you've missed the entire boat. Um, did I see Mark Cranville out in the audience? Did I see him? No. First service. Okay. I need a man who is at least my size to come up and help me illustrate this. We did this last week, but I, I'd have a child or a woman or somebody else, but it's really hard because of the yoke. We got somebody? Volunteer. All right. Duncan. Give him a hand, guys. He's coming up. Okay. 
Throw that on. This is, this is the image that Jesus gives us, right, when he invites us into his work. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. So you're, you're now being paired up with Jesus. You're locked into this yoke. Now, wherever I go, he goes. If I turn, he turns. Like, we're, we're in tandem. We're working together. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus does not, no, you keep yours on. You're Jesus, okay? <laughs> All right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus does not, he does not say, take my yoke upon you on Sunday morning. He says, take my yoke upon you. He's like, you come and join me in my work. So essentially, yeah, I'm up on the stage preaching. feels like I'm part of God's work. But when I leave this place, we're going for a walk. Uh, when I leave this place, when I walk out the doors of this church, and we just might do that because it would be really interesting. All right? <laughs> when I walk out the doors of this church, the work is still going on because I'm still paired with Jesus. Do you, do you see the picture? All right? So kingdom work... Everyone's wondering where we are. Here we are. <laughs> kingdom work. We're going to stop here for a sec. Kingdom work. Kingdom work is not what happens on Sunday. Kingdom work is any work you do for the king. Any work you do with the king is kingdom work. Let's keep walking. So no matter where you go, on Monday, on Tuesday, Mercredi, that's French. Let's go this way. So... No matter where you go, it's kingdom work if you're doing it with and for the king. Does this make sense? So, so whether you, whether you are, are saving lives, you know, people who, who, who are about to die, or whether you're serving tacos in a few hours, they think they're going to die. Uh, <laughs> no matter what you find yourself doing, it's kingdom work if you're doing it with and for the king. Does that make sense? You guys give Duncan a round of applause. Thank you. So I, I absolutely love, I love the image of the yoke because it reminds me that the work that God has called me to do, I'm not doing alone. I'm not doing it in my strength. I'm doing it with him. I'm doing it for him and I'm doing it by his strength. Paul is going to echo these exact same sentiments in his letter to the Colossian church. And we're going to look at these words for just a moment. For context, he is speaking to, to wives, to husbands, to fathers, to children, and he's, he's even speaking to slaves, those who are under the authority of another. Basically, all of us fit into one of those categories somewhere. And, and he's speaking to them about their work, okay? And here's what he says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, everybody say whatever. That was okay, but didn't have enough attitude. Why don't, you, um, why don't we try it like a 13-year-old girl? Um, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. So let's try it. One, two, three. That was better. Um, had no reason to do that. I just thought it'd be fun to hear you say it. Um, whatever you do. Let me ask you a question. Does that include what happens on Sunday? Does it include what happens on Friday night? It does. Does it, in, does it include working for a church? Sure. Does it include what you do nine to five each day through the week? It sure does. Whatever means whatever. Uh, Paul's literally saying, wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing, he goes on to say this, whatever you do, work at it. Tell somebody near you, say, work at it. See, th this, is, this is part of the stuff we don't talk about in church. That, that when someone follows Jesus, he's inviting them to work. And, and some, like, honestly, I've met, I've met Christians that have amazing work ethic. I've met non-Christians that are just 
they just get it done, man. They're amazing. And I've met Christians and non-Christians that are lazy bones. Like, they're, they work harder at not working, right? They're trying with all their energy to get out of work. Paul says that is not the way a Christian lives their life. It's not. He's like, whatever you do, wherever you are, I want you to work at it. I want you to work at it. You say, well, how hard should I work at it? Don't worry, he's going to answer that question too. He says this in the next part of the verse. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. He's like, I want you to give 100% to whatever you do, wherever you are. Say, yeah, but the guy I work with is only giving 60%. So if I give 70%, I can still get a promotion. That may be true, but that's not the Christian ethic. He says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. 100% effort, regardless of what anyone else does or thinks. And then he continues and says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, he says the reason why you're going to work hard is not because your boss is amazing or the benefits are, are spectacular, but you're working hard because you're doing it for him and with him. This is the image. So in other words, in other words, you can keep the same job but get a new boss. Did you know that? That the reason you go to work, the reason you work hard can change in spite of your circumstances not changing. That you can do the same work for a different why. And working hard wherever you are for God and with God is as spiritual. And I know this is hard to wrap your mind around. But working hard for God, with God, is as spiritual as singing His praises. You think, well, no, if I sing 10 Bethel worship songs and there's a little tear down my face, that's a spiritual moment. Yeah, it is. But so is getting up in the morning and putting on your work boots and doing what you're supposed to do. That is spiritual when you're doing it with him and for him. 100%. God smiles at that. Isn't that true? Isn't that good? It's good to remember that because sometimes we think, oh, if I pray, that's spiritual. And you should pray. We also should work. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as to the Lord and not for human masters. I also want to give this caveat too. Um, your work, the things that you have to do, they're not always fun. And there will always be some part of the things that you have to do that you do not enjoy. Uh, that's even true for me. Can I be totally honest with you today? Apparently not. <laughs> Everyone's just like, what, what's going on here? Um, th there are parts like, I have my dream job. And the way I define my dream job is simply this. If tomorrow I won the lottery... Somebody, I got $10 million, I don't have to work another day in my life to provide for my family, which would be really awesome, by the way. But if that happened, on Monday, I would be at the office doing what I do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave this position, be like, oh, now I have enough money, I don't have to work at the church. I'm doing what I want to do, what I feel called to do, and that's amazing. I realize not everyone gets that opportunity to feel that way. But, but even though this is something that I love to do and I'm totally honored to be a pastor and to lead this amazing church, there are still parts of my job that I'm not crazy about. Like studying the Bible and writing sermons, I like that. Board meetings, budget meetings, planning events, stacking chairs, there are just so many parts of my job that I'm like, ah, I got to do this, but this isn't my thing, right? And I think it's true for all of us. We all have things parts of our job, parts of our life that we're just not thinking this is so great, but we do it because it's worship. We do it because it's 
as unto the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, one of the things that I am not crazy about um, is, is project management and planning and talking to people about money. You may have noticed that. We don't talk a lot about money here. It's like, hey, there's a giving table. Give on the way out. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's the way we do it. Um, and, and as a church, so over the past number of months, I've been talking about a project that I've been working on. We showed a video series, et cetera. Um, as a church, we're quickly coming to the realization as leadership, elders, board, that our church continues to grow. We're seeing all kinds of amazing things happen. Through the week, we have all kinds of events and groups and band practices and all this stuff happening, and we're running out of space, and we're running out of options, and we know that long-term, we need to have a home of our own. Does that, that make sense? At some point in the future, we need somewhere to land so we can have our offices and our ministries central. And so we know that, and I've talked a little bit about it, and people keep coming to me and saying, hey, have we found a building yet? And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, you know, have you thought about this building or that building? And I appreciate that. We love all the feedback, but I'm not kidding when I say we've turned over every rock that we can think of. Isn't that true, Todd? Uh, we've looked at spaces to lease and looked for land and buildings, and we've talked to denominations, and is this church available, and all this. I mean, we've, we continue to do that, to look for spaces, but the realization is, or the, the reality is that even if an amazing space turned up, you got to have money. I know that's a shock, but you actually have to have money to be able to move forward on something, right? And, and for a church, it's very different than for an individual. So if you uh, want to buy your first house, I'm guessing a lot of people in this room put 10% down to buy their first house, right? The banks won't do that for a church. You need like 30 to 50% down. And so you're talking about a large chunk of money, and, and our church is not in debt. We have all the stuff paid for. We have some money in the bank. We're doing well, but we don't have the kind of resources it would take to step into a large venue that would house a church of our size. Does that, that make sense? And so we're trying to figure this all out. And uh, so as a church, uh, our board said, hey, let's hire outside help to come in and consult because this is not my strength. And so we have a consultant that's coming in and working with us to think through how do we raise the funds to, to prepare for the next step? Because over the past years, great opportunities have turned up on occasion, and since we didn't have the money, we couldn't move on them, and they were gone. And so there's this work. It's not the fun stuff. It's the work of preparing and saving and aligning our, our church around a mission um, that enables us to take the next steps. So this past week, uh, the consultant that we hired came into town and was here some of you may have heard on Wednesday night, there was a little gathering. Um, our consultant asked to have about 20 people from our church, different ages and stages, so it was literally like pick a few from each thing. Um, and he just wanted to sit with them and ask them questions about the church and their experience and money stuff, and, and just try to get a sense for where we're at with all this to help guide us through the process of making a plan, okay? Does that make, that make sense? And so if some of you heard about it and you're like, I wasn't invited, I wasn't there either, actually. Um, <laughs> I introduced them and left so they could have some open dialogue without me there. And the feedback that we got was really helpful because it seems to me that most of the people, at least in that, that group that was present, are so supportive of what we're doing. They love what Pathway Church is doing, but they're also concerned, like, what happens to our culture? Uh, uh, what, how are we going to afford it? And, and what's going to change? And all of these kinds of questions. So all of that is helpful. We're just kind of forming a plan and over the upcoming months, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have additional information, events, and all different kinds of things happening, and people will hear about it at different levels at different times. 
it's a process. And so we're trying to walk through that process with as much grace and wisdom as we can. Did you know there are five to 600 people that call this church home? Imagine trying to get them all in the room and talk about something as sensitive as that together. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bad family reunion. That's what that is. Um, so, so we're trying to get counsel and take the next steps to walk through a process and say, hey, what's it going to look like for us? And, and here's, here's, here's where I wanted to kind of wrap things up. For me personally, this isn't fun. It's not like when my wife and I had this dream to plant this church that we were like, let's lead a whole bunch of people through a financial campaign to buy a building. That'll be fun. That was never a thought. And yet as a leader in the church, I see the need and it's what has to happen and so we're going to get to work. Over the last couple of months, as I've been working with a consultant and thinking through what all this means, um, I've felt the weight of this. Like, I have felt stressed and felt like, oh my goodness, how am I going to lead a whole bunch of people that, that may have differing ideas and opinions on this? How are we going to raise that kind of money? We don't have a specific number, but it's going to be a lot, okay? It just is. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, and I feel the weight of that. I wake up in the middle of the night. And that's why this message series is so personal for me. Because as I've been feeling the weight of this and studying Jesus' words about taking his yoke upon me, I'm like, oh my goodness, this isn't my work, it's his work. And I don't have to bear the weight of this alone, I bear it with him. We bear it together as we work with him. It's been so encouraging to me to just realize it's his work. I want to close with this passage of scripture, it's found in Philippians 4 verse 11. Paul writes these words, now that, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. He's like, I've had some hard times, some great times. I've had no money, lots of money. I've been through it. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Did you know there's a secret? This is the secret that I've been discovering in these last couple of months as I've studied this text. The secret of how to walk through stressful moments, difficult moments. And the secret is this. He tells us in the next verse, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In other words, what Paul says is, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how big the load, you have to imagine uh, Jesus is in here, Duncan, with me. As long as I'm yoked up with him, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here's the question that I want to leave you with as we close. I want to ask you this question. Why in the world would anyone leave the yoke? Why would anyone try to do life, marriage, their career, apart from the strength that he gives? Why would you ever want to do it on your own strength? It makes absolutely no sense. When, when work gets hard, the best place to be is in the yoke with Jesus. When, when marriage is taxing you, and it will tax you, the best place to be is in the yoke with Jesus. When life feels like it's crushing you, when you're struggling emotionally, when you're wrestling with mental health, when parenting has brought you to the brink of insanity, the best place to be is not on the beach in Waikiki. I just made that up and it rhymed. The best place to be is right here, linked together with Christ.
Because everything he's called you to do is his work, and it's to be done for him, with him, and by his strength. This is the image that Christ gives us when he invites us into his yoke. Can I pray with us? Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.